This podcast is being brought to you by the World Trade Center, Arkansas, Gateways Podcast. This series is hosted today by Denise Thomas, CEO of World Trade Center, Arkansas, and Jenna Carter, Global Trade Director and Foreign Policy Advisor here at the World Trade Center. Our guests today are Sandler, Travis, and Rosenberg, Nicole Bivens Collinson, and Angela Marshall Hoffman, both with Sandler, Travis, Rosenberg. Ladies, I would like very much for you to tell our guest a little bit about yourself. Nicole, we'll start with you. Great. Thanks, Denise. And I appreciate the opportunity to be before you, the World Trade Center, and everyone there in Arkansas. So I'm Nicole Bivens Collinson. I'm President, International Trade and Government Relations with Sandler, Travis, and Rosenberg, and I'm resident in our Washington, D.C. office. What we do is interact on all trade issues, whether it's goods or services. We help you with respect to understanding how to get the good in or how to get the good out, how to comply with U.S. laws, and we also work on influencing those laws as they move forward. Angela? Thanks, Nicole, and good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Marshall Hoffman. It is so nice to be on this call today. I have to say, not only am I proud to be with Sandler Travis Rosenberg, but I'm also proud to be on the Board of Advisors for the Arkansas World Trade Center. So exciting to be part of this exciting group today. Uh, My background, I'm the Vice President for Trade and Supply Chain Resiliency, and yes, that is very much focused on navigating the complexities of the world today from supply chain to trade markets. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, also have a very long history related to Northwest Arkansas, many years at, at Walmart, and then before that on Capitol Hill. So watching how companies not only work with policy, but also understanding how policy is created and, and what that looks like. And we're going to talk about that sausage making today. So Angela, I'm going to ask you to do, give a little plug about Organization of Women in International Trade, which is a new chapter or revised chapter here in Arkansas. Absolutely. So the Organization of Women in International Trade is actually a global organization. There are chapters in the U.S., Canada, Europe, uh, Latin America. Very excited to have one in Northwest Arkansas. Revitalized, recently kicked off. OWID has over 25 chapters and over 5,000 members around the globe. It fosters trade alliances and networking within its membership. Wonderful. Thank you. Jana, tell us a little bit about you. Um, Jana Carter, World Trade Center, um, Foreign Policy and um, and Trade Director. I am trying to better understand our free trade agreements, understand the new opportunities that it that it provides for our Arkansas businesses. Because our real aim here is to help our SMEs in the state to grow bigger and better and be able to do international exports. So with that today, I think we're having. A good policy discussion that will hopefully benefit and show um, some of our some of our audience here, but also some of these businesses, ways in which they may be able to grow their exports. So, Benice, wonderful, thank you. Today, our guests will discuss forced labor act that deals with supply chain transparency. Okay. Ladies, tell me, what exactly does that mean? Explain to our audience what this means to them and how it's going to impact their opportunity to do business globally. So it's called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And some of you may be aware, some of you may not, that in the northwestern province of China, it's 50% Uyghur people and 50% who are Han, Chinese. The Chinese went into this region and they began their re-education efforts of the Uyghur people because they're mostly Muslim. 
the result has been basically an eradication or some would say a cultural genocide of the Uyghur people, putting them into uh, education camps, which are basically prisons, teaching them new skills, um, and then farming them out, leasing them out, if you will, to other manufacturing centers. Their belief is that this is important, that they are providing education, they are providing skills, they are helping to alleviate poverty. So all of that are the reasons why the Chinese have given for the actions they've taken. And as a result, the U.S. is very concerned that these products or any products that are made in whole or in part from anything that is made in that region not come into the United States. We have a law that says you cannot bring in goods that are made using forced labor. And this is forced labor. So this will impact any product made in whole or in part from any product that is made in whole or in part in the Uyghur Autonomous Region of China. And what's really driving this is this tremendous effort. It's, it's globally coordinated. And we saw a lot of this actually as a result of the Beijing 2022 Olympics that just happened. You heard a lot about uh, the diplomatic boycotts that happened. Now, we didn't, we sent our athletes, but there was tremendous um, coordination around the world, our colleagues in Canada, Europe, and more, to send a message that this type of forced labor and behavior is unacceptable in the world. So this is now an economic tool in the toolkit to basically cut off economic intervention into the region by stopping the sourcing from that region as well with the intention that the Chinese government will stop these practices. Now, practically speaking, this measure is going to impact how we do business in and around the world. And companies need to be ready because they're going to need to know exactly where everything's coming from in their supply chains, down to the seed where it's planted. They're going to need to know how it's coming through the supply chain and who they're doing business with. And they're going to have to show to our customs department, Nicole, this is the first time they have to prove the negative, that they don't have that forced labor in their supply chain. So this is a really um, unusual time because it's not worked that way in the past. And many companies do not realize that as of June, they're going to have to ensure that they know exactly where their products are coming from, who they're doing business, and again, ensuring how that product is being made in a way that does not have forced labor. Okay, I have a want to add a question to this because when I'm listening to what you're saying, I want to make sure that the listener is clear that this impact is going to be just on the Uyghur region, or is this going to be a global impact on how we're going to do business in the future? It's going to be global. I mean, part of it is, for example, in the Uyghur region, in the what we call the XUAR, because it's the it's called Xinjiang. Uyghur Autonomous Region, so X-U-A-R. So I'll refer to it as X-U-A-R. So in the X-U-A-R, for example, 86% of all Chinese cotton is grown there. China also accounts for 24% of all cotton products around the world, whether it's cotton yarn or cotton fabric. So they are exporting from China cotton yarns, cotton fabrics. Where are they going? Vietnam, Cambodia, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, Guatemala, they are going global. 
So just from this one product, it gives you an idea that I could be, I'm sourcing something from Sri Lanka. Why would I ever think that I have anything to worry about what's going on under this Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act? Why would I worry about it? Well, where did my fabric come from? Do I know who gave me the fabric? Where was that fabric made? Where did they get the cotton yarns? Oh, they got the cotton yarns from um, Bangladesh or from Pakistan. Well, where did Pakistan get the cotton fiber? Did they get it from India or did they import it from China? So you are going to have to have, this, as Angela was saying, this, su- this supply chain visibility, as I like to say, from earth to hearth all the way through. You need to know everything. And I think most companies have had a great visibility into their tier one suppliers. Like, I know that I bought something from Angela, but I don't know that Angela bought it from Jana and Jana bought it from you, Denise. So Mm -hmm. all I know is Angela and I know what she does and she's good. You know, she's very good. She doesn't have any forced labor in her in her production. So I, I can rely on her, but I have no idea what you guys do. And so this is what they're asking is that as the brand or as the retailer or as the importer, you've got to know that. And I think, Angela, maybe you can also just speak from a global thing how this is a trend that we're seeing, particularly she and I both have kids in their 20s in the young people. Absolutely. And again, transparency is something that is being asked of our kids. They, they look at the labels. They're online. They're doing their research. They are making economic choices based on the values that they have from the people that they're selling the products. They do their research and their, their power of the pocketbook is really coming together. You know, one thing that's also interesting is, as Nicole mentioned, getting all the way down into those sort of the ingredients and the parts. Arkansas is the, what, third largest producer of cotton. And there's actually an advantage here because so much of that cotton then goes into the yarn and the fabrics and sold around the world. And the ability, as Nicole mentioned, a lot of the cotton that is grown in the Uyghur region is an offset. Right. There's an opportunity for those producers who are buying it for the yarn and fabrics to get more of that U.S. cotton because they know where the product's coming down. Right. So this is a huge opportunity too to be thinking about cotton production and helping to get into supply chains because U.S. is able to trace their cotton throughout the supply chain. That, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. Jana, I know you have a few questions. What do you want to add? Well, you know, Thinking again, or putting the emphasis for a minute on when this actually goes into effect, kind of thinking about timing, what people really need to, like, what boxes do they need to check? We understand supply chain transparency, but how are they really going to be expected to kind of demonstrate that or show that come June 1? Like, does this have additional, like, features of things that they need to file, approve, or, you know, go through to make sure certain they're in compliance? So maybe, Angela, you can start with that, and then I'll go into the details of what's actually required. Yes. So as you're getting ready for this bill to come to effect, now is a really good time to start asking the questions deep into your supply chain. If you don't have traceability beyond just where you're assembling the product or packing the product, and as Nicole mentioned, it's not just manufactured goods. It's agriculture products as well as ingredients. So now is a very good time to get your house in order to understand what's in your supplier agreements, what's what are they being asked about forced labor, and then how much visibility do you have throughout your supply chain. Now, there's some interesting questions that Customs is preparing for now, and there's some lists that are coming together, and Nicole will get into those definitely details. But right now, look at your paperwork. Make sure you have 
your ducks in a row and those are things that we can help with too. We're doing a lot of this actually with our clients to help them sort of um, pressure test their systems and their policies and procedures. Right. So what's what's happening is that the U.S. Customs and Border Protection is enforcing this at the border. And when a shipment comes in that they believe might contain violative products, in other words, made with forced labor, you can either get a detention or it could be seized. It depends on what the level of the violation is at the time. That means you have a, a, a very small window of time in which you need to prove to CBP that you have visibility into your supply chain and that there is no forced labor in it. Um, it's going to be very difficult. We are anticipating, and again, this is effective June 21st, and there, the law requires there to be a strategy. It requires customs to put together a list of entities that they think might be um, bad guys. It also requires some other lists. It requires a diplomatic strategy. How, how is the U.S.? I mean, because this is, this is a bigger issue, right? This needs to also be addressed on a country-to-country basis. So State Department is actually late. They were supposed to have submitted their report by the 23rd. We have seen nothing since March 23rd when it was due. So we don't know what the diplomatic strategy is on to how they're going to deal with this. At the same time, we know that Customs is also supposed to give to companies an informed compliance manual that says, here's how you can comply with this. But that's not due until June 21st. So we have a situation where companies are going to be shipping into a June 21st turn-on date, and they're going to learn how they're supposed to comply on June 21st. So this is why Angela was saying one of the things that we've been working with a lot of companies <clears throat> is how do you get a jump on that? What do I need to do to get ahead of it? And it is, what are my policies and procedures? For example, do I have a, a vendor agreement which says that you won't use forced labor. And here are the, the 11 indicators of forced labor, and you verify that you don't have those. And I know who you bought your fabric from, or I'm just going to use the, the, my shirt. I'm buying a shirt. I know who you bought the shirt, the fabric from. I know who they bought the yarn from. I know who they bought the cotton fiber from. And I know whether it came from a cooperative or else. There's new technologies that's being developed to try to help companies comply with this. In the food supply system, there have been um, there has been a much deeper, I think, and robust tracking because of foodborne illnesses, right? So for years, the food industry has kind of had a leg up on on this this traceability, um, and so there are a lot of software platforms um, that are transitioning what they've used in the agricultural sector to the hard goods, to the soft goods, because this is every product, you guys. This is every single thing you can think of. This is part of it. And they're using this um, software to help you through the blockchain manage the documentation, having some idea of traceability. There's new technologies coming on that may have DNA testing to determine whether or not, you know, let's say the cotton fiber was actually from the United States or from China or from Australia or from Brazil. They have that. So these things are coming online. There's new technologies to help. In the short term, one of the things, our best recommendation for companies is to do a deep dive, look at your supplies chain, ensure that you can prove to customs that you've at least exercised reasonable care and you are exercising due diligence. Those are key because if you have goods that are violative, you could be subject to penalties. 
And if you're able to demonstrate them, yeah, okay, that was, I, you know, I thought I had it, I didn't, but here's all I did. I did due diligence. I exercised reasonable care. It helps you in uh, mitigate any type of penalties. I, I have another question because um, I'm listening to this from the perspective of our micro small businesses. Many of the people that we work with are super small. They cannot afford or have the bandwidth to hire Sandler, Travis, Rosenberg to help them through this situation. Where are some of the places they may be able to find information related to this subject so that they can be at least inform themselves? What could we at the World Trade Center do to potentially help them mitigate their risk with this? I think a couple things you're doing it right now. You're having the conversation to make people aware that they may be affected. So, look, if you're importing product from China um, or you have any sort of a content that's coming from China, this is the time to look at the tools in your toolkit. How much visibility do you have? I would say, Denise, you don't get a pass because you're a small business. We are, we are talking about enforcement here. We're talking about forced labor. And this isn't just the U.S. This this trend in terms of supply chain transparency and accountability is unfolding in Canada. The Europeans are putting out all sorts of new rules with respect to modern-day slavery and due diligence. So that that this is something we need to get ready for. Now, what I will tell you, a lot of small businesses actually do know where their products are coming, and they customize in knowing exactly where those products are coming from. And that is part of it. We talked about it earlier. You know, we, we've got kids who are searching the Internet to find those products that they know that they can say, wow, I felt really good about buying this product. So this is an opportunity, I think, for those small businesses in particular to carve out their niche. But they won't get a pass in, in how to be able to adapt and respond to these um, inquiries from customs. Thank you. Jana? You know, as you're talking about this, it just makes me think of some of the global practices we've seen in other areas of legislation being drafted. And since we have that dangling compliance guidance out there, are there any other countries that are kind of ahead of the game and something that could give kind of a better framework for Arkansas, Arkansas businesses, U.S. businesses? Because sometimes you'll, you know, they'll pick and pull pages from that playbook to fill in the one here in the U.S., so I just don't know if there are other countries that we could be more mindful of. Is we'll have, we'll have kind of mission creep, or we'll have kind of you know provisions that are in their legislation we'll see in ours, or our compliance requirements. Is there anything like that? I would say, unfortunately, no. And it's simply because we enforce the compliance differently from most other countries. They enforce it from a penalties perspective. In other words, you bring something in, it may enter the commerce of that country. And then they investigate, they find out it's offending merchandise, and then they penalize you. The United States tries to avoid the entry of that merchandise into the United States. So we enforce it at the border. They generally enforce it through penalties. So there's really nothing that I can, I, I think that we are going to see that other countries are doing that we take on. I can tell you that the United States, however, is trying to push our manner of implementation onto Canada and onto Mexico because there was a commitment in the USMCA that these countries would also ban imports of goods made with forced labor. So we're seeing kind of the reverse where what we're doing being pushed onto other countries. And actually, Angela, I believe the EU is starting to look at the enforcement at the border as well. well that's good. That's that is 
I, the genie's out of the bottle, guys. I, the, what we're talking about is transparency, transparency, transparency. It's, we're to an age where companies need to understand, again, where those products are coming from, who you're doing with business, and how they're, they're making that product. And the one, one point I would just add there is today it's forced labor. Tomorrow it's going to be environmental concerns. You know, were your goods, for example, I'm making a purse and I use this leather and the leather came from these cows who were uh, raised in Brazil. And then I find out that the farmland on which the cows were raised was actually illegally deforested land. That's on the horizon. Maybe I'm, I'm producing something that, um, you know, requires the, a lot of washing and cleaning and the, the, the process, or, or let's say I'm tanning that leather. I'm tanning those leather hides, and we know there's not a lot of tanning done in the United States because it's not a pretty process, and there's a lot of chemicals, a lot of pollution. And let's say that I am at tanning at a facility that's in India that is polluting the Ganges. So I'm going to need to know if I'm impacting the water, if I'm impacting the soil, if I'm impacting anything in the environment. So part of what we try to do is help companies look at, do I have the resiliency within my supply chain to be able to respond to these different factors that are coming at me? And, and we all need to be aware of it. Um, it's, it's, it's here, as you said. Is this going to be global? Yes. Is it going to impact everyone? Yes. So companies just have to start thinking about how can I try to comply. And again, people will buy because they know that you care. So there is an opportunity to look at this from a competitive advantage of knowing your supply chain and making making that available to the consumers who are making choices every day because they want to know. You know, you're seeing more and more marketing with in that respect. You know, there's there's like gaps marketing about sustainable fabrics and clothes and things like that. Levi, you don't have like you don't have to buy a pair of jeans every year or something like that. So, it it will bleed over into other things without a doubt. And of course, Angela, our 20 year olds are mindful of all that. Not to mention our 14 year olds, they're equally mindful. So it is it is a trend, as you said, coming of age. So this has been really helpful. I know that, that that's definitely a trend that's happening with all generations right now because even um, my mom at 73 is looking at where she's purchasing things, who she's buying it from. She's asking more questions because it's important to her, and she's a baby boomer. So I would say that's just something that I think people are just more socially responsible as it relates to their purchases and what they're doing with their money and where they're putting their money. Um, and that boils down to even with donations. You know, how viable is this company that I'm putting my money into for donations that I'm supporting? So I think that this is definitely going to be something that our small businesses will ask us lots of questions about. Are there any key takeaways you ladies want to frame for us? I would say the the key takeaway is you've got to know deeper than just your tier one supplier. And part of that is getting statements, you know, from that supplier that affirmatively state that this shipment that I'm sending to you was not made in any way with forced labor, and the inputs that I used to make this were not made using forced labor. So at least you are trying to get that information. Um, I think for the small micro entrepreneurs, it's, it is, that's, you know, at least they can show that they've done some of that. I also think they need to make sure that they can show, I have a, a, a manual that guides me, and my manual says that my vendors have to show me this, 
they have to sign this type of agreement, you know, on these different principles. And I make sure that I don't get they don't subcontract to someone that without my knowledge. So there are some steps that can definitely be taken. Um, but I, what I would say is if you are not sourcing from China, you think you're in the clear. All I can say is you're not in the clear. Your inputs could be coming from China to anywhere in the world. And as we mentioned, it's going to be global and it's going to be on, you know, forced labor today and climate tomorrow. So get it right now is what you're saying, basically. It's like the exactly. sooner you get ahead of the curve, the better off your company's going to be. Angela, what are some of your final comments? So I, I always like to give you know, sort of practical takeaways. So this is where you need to, to know it, know where things are coming from. You need to prove it, and you're going to be able to show it. And so thinking about that is really you need to be prepared. That's what we want. to Don't wait for June to th- start thinking about what's happening in your supply chain. So be prepared. Be transparent. And that's really going to be important in this entire conversation. And then the last part is be resilient. There's a lot. We've talked about all sorts of topics over the, this series here of what's happening in China, what's happening in Russia, the, what's happening with our supply chains. And this is an opportunity as well to look at your supply chain holistically mm-hmm. uh, and helping you with a resiliency plan that enables you to sort of source from the, from the areas in the region of the world that allow you to sort of keep your product moving in time and, again, able to enter the, the countries that are implementing these new regulations around the world. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was great information. I will say that here at the World Trade Center and with the Organization of Women in International Trade, we will keep ahead of this subject to make sure that we inform um, the Arkansas as well as globally what this trend is and how it's working. And we will also look into ways that we can provide more information for you to help you be strategic about your growth and what it is that you need to do to be compliant. We want to make sure that each of you is successful in what you're doing and helping you move business forward. We don't want to be the bearer of bad news. We want to be the bearer of good information to keep you informed so you can be resilient, as Angela said, and proactive about moving your companies forward. Um, I'd like to take the time to thank Angela, Nicole, and Jana. Um, A special word of gratitude and appreciation to our guests for being with us today and um, really want to thank them for being a part of the Gateways podcast. The Organization of Women in International Trade, Arkansas Chapter, and the World Trade Center, Arkansas, as well as um, Sandler, Travis, and Rosenberg um, for hosting this event with us today. want to thank you uh, again for listening to us, and please feel free to send us comments, ask questions. We'll make sure we get those questions answered. If Jen or I can't answer them, we'll make sure we get those to Nicole and Angela to get those questions for you. We once again want to thank you for being a part of this series, and we want to thank our listeners for participating, and I'll give our, our guests an opportunity to close out with any special comments or words they want to words of wisdom they want to give each of us. And we'll start with Nicole first. Thanks, Denise. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to be able to share with companies in Arkansas who are trying to, one, take advantage of the opportunities out there, and two, ensure that they are complying. Um, You know, this is something that's evolving constantly. And participating in programs like this, working with the World Trade Center, it's very helpful in ensuring that you are informed. And I think that's one of the key things. And so I, I really applaud the work that you're doing at the World Trade Center and trying to reach out to companies and help them know what to expect on the horizon. Well, thank you so much. Angela? I just want to say I'm so excited about Arkansas and its potential to grow and build and export ideas and products from, you know, 
agriculture to airplane parts. Um, this is an incredible state with a lot of time, talent, energy, and investment. And the world is your marketplace. Mm-hmm. So take these trade agreements and look at them. The world is changing every day, but that means there are new markets and new places to sell your products. Yes, there are new challenges, but this is a very resilient state, and we're able to think about those new challenges like our cotton. How do we actually promote more cotton because we're helping solve other issues around the world? So, so be part of the action. Be part of the discussions. And thanks for the opportunity for us to have the conversation throughout this series. We're very grateful to the Trade Center and all you do. Thank you. We appreciate your time. You know, when you were saying that, I was thinking about one of the things that we talk about a lot here at the World Trade Center. Jen and I have this conversation quite a bit is that trade is also humanitarian. Um, When we look at what we do, when movement of food, movement of goods, movement of a product like cotton, it improves the quality of life of the person that's actually using that product. So it's not always about the capital approach as it relates to the monetary reward of doing business globally, but there's also a feeling of goodwill and good um, fellowship that really makes a difference to offer a humanitarian effort. So that's something that I think is really important to the conversation and that we need to be aware that it's not always commerce that wins, but good quality of life for a lot of people because of it, that's important. Food is hugely important because we don't live if we don't eat and we have to stay warm. Um, And in some cases, cool, and cotton does both. So um, Jana, do you have any closing comments you'd like to add? No, well, let me just thank um, Nicole and Angela for for taking the time to explain so much to us. I will say what it does do, it only just creates more questions in my mind, and also it also makes me have a vision of additional um, webinars that we can do to kind of carry forth the discussion and kind of monitor some things as they change, some things how they go as they go into effect. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how a lot of these issues we've discussed. Um, play out. So um, I think that people should stay tuned because I hope to have more of these with both you and Nicole, Angela and Nicole. Well, thank you again. And we are signing off of the Gateways podcast today. Thank you for your time and participation.